2: Listener, welcome to the Deep Share Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Rouse, and for the last couple of decades, I've slowly been opening my eyes to a very different world than the one I grew up hearing about. And the more conversations I have with interesting people, the more mystifying this world becomes. So without further ado, let's get deep. We've
3: got science to celebrate
0: demons this now! After Black Come on!
3: There is rebellion in the wind. Everything I've said is true, it's real. I like God put those here to test our faith. A damn lie, I saw them on my own eye. Did cues just drop sharply while I was away? We did it in illusions,
0: man. None of it is true. I am not insane. This is mass madness, you maniac. In God's name, you people are the real thing. We are the illusion.
2: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Deep Share. Tonight is a real treat. This was a blast. My guest is Andreas Exertis, creator of Tartarinova.com. We got into Tartaria, Bohemian Grove, so many other crazy things. This was so much fun. He's got a wealth of wisdom to share with the world, so give it up for Andreas Exertis. Hi, Andreas. Welcome to the show.
3: The deep share. Nice. So how long have you had the show?
2: Oh, not too long. I've been around since, like, February or March, so pretty pretty fresh, man, and uh, uh, I definitely want to get, like, hearted to Tartaria with you, because, like, I don't know much about it, and I've heard a little bit here and there, but I've heard, like, mix-matched theories that kind of, like, the dates are all weird or whatever, so I definitely want to dive into that. For sure, but uh, just to give my audience a little background on who you are, you got a pretty interesting story yourself, and you you know give a give my audience a little bit of what you do and how you got into all this stuff.
3: Uh, so yeah, my name is Andreas, and I'm um what am I? So I'm an engineering background. I'm a material meta nanotechnology engineer, and I'm also a former CNN employee. Uh, so I've got the darkest background. Everyone's always like, this guy must be an Illuminati shill, but I do my best to like, I guess I'm some open sourcing the mystery schools. is kind of what I'm doing. So I'm trying to take all the information that we've known about for years and it's been on the internet. And before that, we were old men had books about, and we're trying to get that information out to people. And so I've been also doing like free software for years. And I work with podcasters and help them like everywhere along the way with like mainstream political commentary all the way to alchemy you know and i'm a big fan of history I've lived around the world I've gone over um different kinds of archaeological ruins and eventually like started piecing together that there was this lost history that the illuminati talked about like in the um, freemason books like they talk about Morals and Dogma talk about Tartaria, and I was like, what is this thing? So that led me down the line of starting to look more and more into like lost history, stolen, uh, forgotten, like fake history, you know, engineered journalism that becomes fake news, like all that, you know, and I was like, wow, this, this CNN is not the first person to come up with lying about the news. This actually goes back centuries. So I guess I'm trying to like help people write what's wrong about fake history and figure out what really happened in history and and what's going on right now.
2: (laughs) Hell yeah, man. I think that's a pretty noble cause for sure. It seems like we could go down like a million different rabbit holes from the past. And uh, how does Tartaria fit into all these other crazy conspiracy theories? Like let's give a, let's give my audience a little perspective on like what time period we're talking about and what does it really encompass? Like I, I'm so green behind the ears with with this stuff. Like I don't know Tartaria much at all. So man. I would almost,
3: I would almost sell Tartaria as like a next level, you know? So if you start thinking about all of what, you know, you know, in conspiracies, there's, there's like the Illuminati trilogy. There's Robert Anton Wilson. There's like all of the, the cards, there's the, you know, pizza gate, human trafficking. And then this idea that there was, you know, orphans that have been brought from one country to another, that whole countries have been erased. Eventually, all of history, even do the Jesuits change the calendar. You keep bringing it up, is like the calendar might be shifted. There's a lot of truth to that, that, like the Julian calendar to the Gregorian calendar that in Russia, they weren't even using the Gregorian calendar for like into the thirties of the 20th century. That's so, nuts. so all of it starts to pile together and Tartaria becomes like, um, I almost want to call it like a hubris, like it's an arrogance because you're like, I understand so much about the world from a new way of looking at it that I'll never be like, carbon dating for instance uh we look at it and we know that after a certain amount of time you know something happens but it's not on a gradient right like there's a certain point where a volcano spikes and then that carbon gets emitted and so there's you know there's moments where like an an insane amount of, of carbon emission happens right so we're not on this gradient line so it becomes like an entire new way of looking at things and it's even like to some people, I would say, like, it's really great to people that are into conservative values and want to learn more about history, but it's also good for like woke, you know, Gen Z kids that are looking into the 1619 project and they don't understand what is true about history because history is the lie. There's a bunch of Eurocentric lies in history, but there's also, you know, there's, there's so much more when you start to find out that at one point, basically the the biggest, the biggest change to the narrative is that people used to work together that there used to be a trade confederacy before war developed civilization and that's a huge change to the narrative it doesn't sound like it is to the average person but it's a huge change because forever we've been saying people fight each other and they build these you know like roman conscriptions of soldiers and that's the beginning of history and it's just not true you know there are other things that happened before that whether it be for religious pyramids or you know trade, just to get whatever you know they needed, just trade was more valuable. And because of that, it also destroys xenophobia because you start to see like, wow, these people interacted with each other that were from you know you have African uh, husbands to you know Viking wives and vice versa all over the world. And so. There was a point when people were more you know, c- connected than isolated and that isolation happened interim. That there's a middle period where society collapsed. And that's important because then we're looking at these wherever there's a rising action, there's a fall. And so there's a reset you know, idea. People keep talking about society hitting in the future like modern conspiracy theorists all say the resets. Well, the Davos Convention World Economic Forum, if you go into any, it, this is we're in a post theory age. Right. That's the other thing about about Tartaria. (laughs) We're not in a time where we hypothetically are talking about theories. Like at this point, we're documenting the relationships of people that work together. And this idea that relationships can't run the world. I mean, You know, I right here in my parking lot, we have all my friends. Each one of them has a license plate from a different state. We're all conspiring to work together. We've all met on the internet at different points. Like it's it's completely reasonable. You know, and 100, 500 years ago, royal families were sending letters to each other, and they were also working together. So relationships start to be, they start to build up, and you start to see how society has been run for so long that somebody could have all the wealth, and some other people could be kept from certain technology, but the, the, the new the new reason why tartaria becomes important is because it's so close to what's happening now the, the, there was a civilization that was super advanced and then all of a sudden it collapsed because it couldn't it couldn't sustain itself like there's a certain amount of billions of people we need to feed every day and if that stops happening billions of people die not just you know thousands so 90 percent of the population dropping off in like a week or five is plausible in the worst kinds of ways and so if that happens, has that has that is this the first time that we've completely destroyed our civilization And it doesn't look like that we've had obviously smaller ones with the malaria the bubonic plague except but you know krakatoa level explosions and deluge like if babylon level fall like did we have that well that's the story so it, it comes up over and over again in every line of questioning that you might have
2: that's nuts that it just infiltrates every bit of the ancient past like that. That's pretty crazy. Um, This idea that we were kind of like set up at some point to start fighting and not working together. That sounds kind of familiar from, and I've said this before on the podcast, I'm sure I'm sounding like a broken record. The, uh, the concept of like Eagle versus serpent, that red versus blue type thing that comes in from like these, you know, possibly otherworldly Adunaki beings or were these just more advanced people from more advanced human societies what is what's your take on that part of it
3: so i mean i i I can't help but find that more and more fascinating and i've tried really hard to avoid that subject for the last few years because we can Mm -hmm. do so much on like evidence-based science but Mm -hmm. one thing you you can't get around is that tartarus is the word for hades in in the greek so you have roman and greek Uh, you know, so you've got Hell, Helena, this idea of the subterranean world that is connected to Tartaria through the Tartarus, and it's this world. you know, and that um, Dante's Inferno has to do with these rings of this outer world. So uh, there is a lot to be said for avians or like the draconians, the hyperboreans, like Madame Blavosky talks about them not necessarily as being extra Terrestrial, but maybe being ultra terrestrial or interterrestrial. This idea of density of uh, mass and radio waves and what we're now referring to as dark matter. I think that is just as good as space because space, at some level, is a wave that's probably compressed on top of itself. And you know, it's it's important to to see how distance can be comparable to relativity. So I, I don't say it's necessarily outer space, but the story, right, that there is a light being that's using a Dyson sphere, because when you become involved enough to be able to switch bodies from one body to another, you're going to use light instead of electricity because you can send eight times as much data through a rainbow because you have a spectrum that light can go through. So we'll be using light beings. Light beings would be able to send data directly from a star to a sodium solution like a sea with salt water. Right. And then that would allow for geospheres to evolve into biospheres. So you could actually, you know, uh, light, uh, life. I see other planets, if, if planets exist. And I know like there's flat earth, there's, but it's, <laughs> right, right, but right. it's all, it's all the same though, because even if it is just like a reflective system inside of it. And what I find interesting is the idea that the hollow earth is part of like a flat earth map anyway, like both maps, both like agree with this idea that there's Shoal and there's an underworld that has to do more, in my opinion, with time travel than anything else. And there's been a number of people I've talked to who say that they're working with or have worked with insectoids from the future or like people that are genetically modified themselves. And you have to imagine super soldiers that you know, genetically modify themselves, like they could, if they're able to um, have whatever genomic sequence, like insectoids are a decent one, like just from like an yeah. objective perspective, like it's a very strong, you know, being. Yeah. And so if, <laughs> if they if they do exist and they're somehow, and like, so the way it was explained to me, and like, this was pretty like, wow, weird to me, it was like, this lady was saying in the sixties, she grew up knowing, um, that there was some sort of futuristic technology that was able to connect with machines in the past. So there's a machine is still running, and in the future, it becomes sentient. And that connects with the internet to older machines, which have never been turned off by the military. Maybe they're like uh, water and power systems, but then that can connect to the 60s and send phone calls or faxes or con- and so that there's some sort of time traveling sentient AI. And if that has you know, any connection to the past, it can only go back so far, but it means like within the last you know 80 years or something like that, that we've got something that's able to you know interact with our timeline and maybe also because of that trying not to mess with our timeline too much by being subterranean. Um but that's the basilisk. That's, Have you heard right. of the
2: basilisk? Yeah, exactly. like the, yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, could it come back and kill us all? <laughs>
3: Or you know, it could it be the thing that like is a time capsule because the one of the main ideas is that these are like this movie Primer where things go back to certain points and then they can only so if time progresses in eighteen different or a million different variants, um, Berenstein and Berenstein Epstein and Epstein right, then you're going to be able to align it back at least to 1977 when the uh, if the, the Colorado accelerators turned on or 2012 when the Chinese accelerators turned on so that we could at least go back to a certain date and like not mess with history before a certain point which seems to be what a lot of I mean and I'm not saying that's like the necessary uh like this is just a hypothesis it's like a muscle
2: to use you know yeah, yeah it's plausible
3: it. that time is literally being messed with like I mean that's it's not the only solution is very plausible that t- like either people are lying about history, which we know that's true. Uh, people are actually affecting history, which would be interesting if like it's changing the way it is looked at, or just in general, we're not getting it. We're missing something because we're, we're losing the perspective of a natural human. So we're, we're not like at the, in the ancient world, there might've been things that we just don't perceive or understand anymore because we have technology. and just We don't have a practical understanding of life.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I can see how you can put that leg. Like, so I mean, I've heard from a number of different people about how these older cultures that relied more on like the primordial ideas like geometry and, and, uh, you, you know, they had more, it wasn't like they were more super advanced in like a Jetsons kind of way, almost like more of a like a spiritual or connected to the earth in, in more of that kind of way. Is that what Tartaria was kind of like? Cause I mean, you hear that about like Atlantis and Lumuria and stuff like that, or Moo or.
3: <laughs> it's there's, crazy. Definitely, there's definitely like a, a level to, okay. So the, the Lumurian Blavatsky narrative, as you're saying, is this internalization of technology. So when a reset mm. comes and the accountants can't bring their machines They save what they can in numerology, you know, and then another group goes off and they're unable to save their touch screens, but they save chopsticks as an internalized technology that they can pick up and they can use, you know, like as, as a tool, instead of actually making a tool, you learn about yoga and like you internalize technology. I mean sure like and you know like everyone's like that like there's definitely a lot of things that were um, internalized and you if you look into the tartars like they still exist is the other thing like there are tartar stand is a part of russia it's been completely assimilated they took all the people and destroyed their culture as much as possible but i've done i've gone in and done a lot of interviews with them and you can see what's happened when the russians you know destroyed their culture, they don't know anything before that point, but a lot of them have kept secrets about their family from that point so it's an amazing time to be able to kind of fit together what's changed what we sort of know now is that they had sort of what is it was incorporated into Islam, but at the time this it was its own kind of thing. Islam meant like bliss or submission to yoga. And so they had these Islamic kind of uh, mosques and then you had leaders who were tarkans, and they, they had spent 30 years training in the church to be in charge of the, the mosque of the community. And so going back in history, they had all these libraries with all these books. And so in there, we would find Herodotus' steam engine, um, alternating current uh, systems for electricity, that use water mills, and these were all, you know, eventually made their way into Cordoba in Spain, or in, you know, like the Arabic uh, trading of the uh, Cordoba Caliphate. The the Khazarian kings brought into Western Europe, but all that information was, you know, at one point pretty much ubiquitous. It looks like in Tartaria. So, it's not that they were just uh, yogis that were living, you know, it looks like they had, and this is a big thing for Eurocentricity, because, like, a big part of Eurocentricity is this idea that everything, you know, like they didn't even have wheels. Never mind that you saw that Mayan calendar is a wheel. They didn't have any wheels. You need to stop worrying about them having technology. They lived in, you know, teepees. And that's it, right? So this manifest destiny thing, that's a little too far. That's not like there really were bricks. Like it's not just white Europeans that can build bricks, you know, and right. like lots. Of and course. so and this idea that there were uh more than that, like trains and like if you look at Formosa, you start to look at the star forts and these resonant uh patterns, you start to see that how much of the European buildings were incorporated from older Tartaria. Because Frisland and South Spain and these places were actually, at one point, have all the same architecture, have all the same culture, and they have uh, resonant, like the cathedrals were used to make certain kinds of noises, which they believe were healthy for you. And now we know can cure cancer because there's certain kinds of resonant frequencies that tumors don't do well with. Or you could use to like clean, um, you know, like if you have uh, stones, you could use sonication, right? So like different kinds of harmonics. So they had a lot of technology and some of it was religious and some of it was uh, cultural but in general like they had functional technology they had suction pneumatic systems they had rail systems um you know it, it, i don't mean to sound like L. Ron hubbard though like they flew <laughs> with the they flew, they flew on 747s you know like no but they did have they did have like energy from volcanoes you know and right. a lot of amazing steam power you know it's crazy.
2: When you and you mentioned like uh the stone, like healing and stuff like that, that sounds eerily new age. And of course, uh, it, let me ask you what you feel about this, because I run into in all conspiracies, this angle that all of this ancient stuff, all this ancient knowledge and wisdom that may come from things like that, more holistic approaches is all satanic and evil and well those are two
3: different things right there satanic it's
2: well yes so that right there but i thought that was the psyop right oh everyone's turning satanic because they think they're gonna be unified and have oneness and like that's really upsetting me because coming from like a very psychedelic background like that shit i found that in here man i didn't find that in any documents that like were given to me for predictive programming you know so it's like this uh this idea that the occult and and those kind of uh Paths down into the into the ancient past are like all bad, and you shouldn't look there. That's I mean, it's very... it's, it, it's oh. also
3: good to like you know, it's good to say that. Like, I mean, you don't want people to think the occult is just you know, My Little Pony, and it's just safe. Sure, but but they're they're definitely like you know, when I hear the word New Age, I think Alistair Crowley, and Alistair Crowley is uh, the the most brilliant rebrander, uh, one of them, you know, by by turning Satanism into the New Age movement because. Satanism in and of itself refers to a story, right? You've got this idea of a guy or a girl, the most beautiful angel who think they're more righteous than God. And I've met a lot of people like this, people that think they're right. Even when they know the conventional wisdom is something else, they, they know they're right. And also their life is all about doing the right thing. Like Lucifer is the beautiful angel who's in charge of worship. So every day, Lucifer's like, Yesterday, I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, the 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 pony show is not that great, but today we're gonna have a water show, and I think you'll love it, Lord. And then the next day, the water show wasn't great, but we have I, we have fire rings now with lions jumping through them, and it's gonna be amazing. And just every day trying to outdo your self-serving God until eventually you think, what am I for? Right. So Lucifer is an interesting metaphor in general, but that's not the way. Lucifer or Satanism is presented to the public. Of the course. publicers they see this person who's like Aleister Crowley, uh, in, um, Anton LaVey. So somebody who's into the Munsters or into uh, you know the haunt the Adams family, people who dress funny like Elvira and stuff, and thankfully that's no longer the stereotype actually because the idea that bad people look bad and good people look good is look really like disney did this for a while and it's really messed up a lot of kids and made it really easy to like prey upon naive people like if you went to a circus you know at one point you'd say oh that scary guy if someone was missing a kid they'd point at the scary guy but now you're like i don't know that could be a vegetarian so we're all we're all kind of you know Adjusted in our perspective, and New Age, it shows this idea that you know, like it's not Satan, it's not Jesus, it's it's you, it's your own individuality. But that can be dangerous too, because then you're not aware a lot of the time that these are very specific spirits that could be manipulating you, right? And so it's good to like try to like focus on what is um, not your, you know, your ego, right? Because doing whatever you will is it's an easy way to control you, because then you just you're gonna go for the carrot. And you're not going to go for getting hit by the stick, you know, so it's just it's right. easy to manipulate someone through that kind of endgame philosophy. So, I mean, I, I think it's important to acknowledge some of the things from the occult, you know, like Ramdas, I think, is a great example, because he's a kid who was raised to be their, you know, their one pony trick, like this new messiah. And he's like, I'm not that for you or for anybody, I'm just for myself, you know. So, so, I mean,
2: I know we're trying to go into Tartaria mainly, but I mean, that's, that's an angle that has fascinated me lately because we're talking like some of the people that I've revered for so long too. And it's like groomed, you know, like, and I, you know, Hunter S Thompson, the same way, like a number of people from the sixties and seventies were, are we saying that they were like placed
3: there? I mean, it happens. Like it's not weird. placed. It's not placed. It's like a hole opens in a wall and you fit into it. And like to stay there, sometimes you have to do things that you probably shouldn't do. Like we were. Talk- I think Hunter S. Thompson came up before we were talking about Johnny Ghosh, and I, that's like a story we didn't go very far into at all on the you know, Sam Tripoli show, but it's an important one because Johnny Ghosh is a kid who went missing and the FBI didn't help very much, and eventually they kind of figured that somebody smudged some records to help this kid get disappeared, right? He was like a uh, a journal uh, newspaper boy, 5 o'clock in the morning, and like some van was looking at him and set it up to happen a few days later, and they'd erase the number in the of the license license plate in the police uh, journal. So eventually it started becoming more and more clear. And then the mother got like, you know, photos sent to her of Hunter S. Thompson and her boy, like, you know, tied up and perhaps being used at both Hebe and Grove rituals, and eventually probably becoming a male prostitute. And like the kinds of things that interagency work with, you know, because it's not just girls, you know, that are being used in this giant thing. Um, but, there, but yeah, like a lot of the time, there are. It seems like you know there are dark circles, and like the there are when it comes to Satanism or to um, the occult. There's like the Order of the Nine Angles, right? And there are certain kinds of theosophy uh, work that require you to break all of the morals, right? I think Brezhnevsky said there have to be a uh, a new elite, a new emergent elite, which is a uh, divorced from an a uh a parallel to the law and to the ethic it is good for everyone else to follow the law of the categorical imperative for everyone else to to stop at the stoplight and to speak the truth but there have to be this elite that break all the rules right so you know that's that you will see a lot of the people that you know you trust in in the in the media they've done something in order to be up there you know
2: that's interesting so i mean shit who are our heroes there are none
3: (laughs) well i mean again also in the ancient stories the best heroes i mean except for like you know even yeah no basically all the best heroes sin. you know you look at david in the bible and he does he does dirty to his best friend to get married to his wife like Mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of people daniel uh you know everyone in the bible at some point has done some horrible things you know Mm -hmm. and like Noah was a drunk, so uh, I think <laughs> Rama, like the way he treated his Sita, even. I mean, I'll probably get in trouble with the Hindus for saying that, but there's something wrong with that, you know. Like he should have trusted Sita. So nobody's perfect, like.
2: Sure, yeah. <laughs>
3: that's and that's perfect. actually like in a on a on a loop back to Tartaria. Like that's yeah. probably what happened with Tartaria. Like, it seems like they had nobility that fell apart because what we see right afterwards are these specific families of uh, sailors, essentially, that take over, like the Dutch East Indies Company. uh, They just take over all the leftover colonies and a bunch of masons that are putting their hidden hand in front of these. So probably you have nepotism, you have falling apart of royal families, you have an environmental, industrial disaster. We think like Krakatoa and and Campy Fiegeri, a number of these volcanic eruptions might have actually been, you know, Tartarian power plants that have erupted. Um, everything that fell apart, why did that happen? Probably because they weren't running their society perfectly, you know, and that tends to be like something everyone's like, Oh, it must have been Lemuria, must have been perfect. Like, mm. Like even Blavatsky's story of Atlantis is that, and it sounds like, by the way, Atlantis is one of the city states of Tartaria. In fact, yeah, look looking at Blavatsky's um five root races, right? Like, it goes. Uh, the Hyperborean, the uh, Lemurian, the Atlantean and the Aryan. So Tartarian because Aryan is Sanskrit for the noble people. And so Tar had a lot to do with we think fatherland, so the fa- the noble fathers you know that's coming out. So that would be the last major one is the Tartari- the Tartars and then become the fifth root race, which is supposed to be emerging right now. And so also is an androgynous race, which is interesting, you know, because we're going through this gender, uh, cultural revolution, right. As Blavatsky said, there would be a new group race.
2: Yeah. Wow. seems like, whew, like a lot of, uh, almost like could be looked at as like all predictive programming in and it's in a way, you know,
3: that's true. I mean, pre- predictive programming is important to look at. Um, it has a lot of angles, possibly a lot of layers, there's a lot of like media, like so. You look at like um, Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz uh, is a you know uh, Baum was a Blavatsky. Um, fanatic. And so he took a lot of her work and turned it into Wizard of NY and OZ. It's like HAL and IBM like with Kubrick. The letters are just right next to each other. X Y O Z, you know. So New York and Oz are like two parallel realities. And Emerald wow. City being over Kansas because it's a vanadium mine, which is a uh, 30 23rd element, which you know is his number, which was also um you know, like Robert Anton Wilson's favorite number, the 23 enigma that comes up a lot. But um yeah. <laughs> but Blavosky wrote uh, the Blue Bird, which was the idea that there was no blue sky, and all of a sudden that's why we have blue because in the uh, Homer's Odyssey, the idea that no one could see blue and blue is immersed and it's right. veiled the sky, and that became parts of Wizard of Oz and Ozma, and so Ozma is the fifth root race because she's you know transgender. It was a boy who's looking for the princess and eventually finds out that he is the princess and has to go through a metamorphosis at thirteen.
2: Wow. So do you think that the, the hidden hand, uh, do you think that they feel like they have to do this? Otherwise like reality is going to fall apart or something by like, you have to like follow these predictive patterns throughout history or something. Cause it seems like the same story gets told over and over and over again in these rise and falls, rise and falls. And then they just cover it up and start again. It seems
3: there's definitely something to like following the protocol because you're seeing something outside yourself, like the way Freemasons refer to the next uh, phase in 2076 I think is the next major so we're trying to get from 2012 to 2076 and then from 2076 is the next generational phase and so humans work together to. Uh, accomplish goals outside of their timelines for their life lines, their life uh, uh, gets over a lifetime, you have maybe, you know, several sons, but they're going to over five generations make a plan, you know, and so in five generations, you have to do certain kinds of things and also I think it. You, you're showing that you're part of the thing. Imagine also not from like the most you know sinister point of view. You come to a new town and you see that the town has the symbol of the men's lodge that you're familiar with. And you go inside and you can uh, get to a book because it's the 15th century and there's no internet, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a lot of these groups that kind of form because they feel like they have to follow the rules and also the Tao and ritual, you know, cause the Tao is the noble Tao is not the eternal Tao, but there's also the ritual, which is like put you into the ax uh, suit and start using the ax and start chopping the tree that you're, you know, George Washington chopped down. And maybe you'll learn something. Maybe you'll do, you'll learn, you'll get something out of it that George Washington got out of chopping down his own tree tree, full on material ritual. So they use those a lot, hoping that it'll build certain kinds of character, you know? And Freemasons in general are also like foundling, like altar boy level. So it's this idea that Ignatius had the Jesuits, which are, you know, take the children, remove the parents, raise them like the Jedi, and they'll come out a certain kind of way. And when the Jesuit suppression happened, Freemasons, you know, took that idea to the next level. They're like, you don't need your parents because you're God's children. And you can just be all that you can be. Sounds familiar, right? Like, so.
2: Mm. Wow. (laughs) So it's, it's weird. It's almost like, it doesn't even sound like a conspiracy on this level. It almost sounds like, like, what do you think? Do you think they're trying to attract truth seekers and people of that kind of ilk? It's almost like cicada. Like, you know, for those of us that kind of can get it, it's like they're clearly talking to us because they it doesn't feel like anything is really held back. We have a whole community and the, the truth or community built on, all this information that we can't get to, but we, we kind of can like FOIA kind of seems like just given to us. And, you know, I hate to say this, but like, cause I have a lot of friends on, you know, certain platforms that seem to be the alternative platform because YouTube is this big evil thing owned by Google, but these alternative platforms, you just download them on Google play. So it's like, is it really being hidden from us at all?
3: I mean, it's definitely like, they're not burning the books so much as they're building libraries around them. So you don't have to worry that it'll be there to find, but what is truth, what does it matter? I think X-Files had that episode about Dr. They, and he can just change, you know, it doesn't matter what is true because people don't care what is true. They're looking for what appeals to them. So there's very few people that are left that are, you know, I think, I realized this when truth versus obey was a thing. It was Obama versus Ron Paul. It was like, obviously people given the truth are going to choose the truth. No, they're not. They're that's not necessarily the way it works. So the few people that will choose the truth are probably very precious to anybody. um, And they're probably worth whatever. Don't sell out, I think is the deal. (laughs) Um, But I'm curious about secrets, too, because, like, you think about uh, Freemasonry in the 1600s and 17th century, it's it's during the Jesuit suppression, right? So if the Jesuits are being suppressed, uh, they need some group where they can keep secrets that are as a non-state or separation of church and state protected organization. So it makes sense that there would be something like that. And then eventually, what's its only goal? Its only goal is to make the United States so that it can have a separation of church of state and freedom to say certain things. So, I mean, you know, credit were due, like that's a pretty decent uh, creation by the Freemasons. Although, according to what we know about Tartaria, it seems like they got all of that, not from Athenian law, but from the, the way things were in Tartaria and across Milwaukee and in America, because in America you had tribes, tribes had, you know, tribearchies and the tribearchies also had certain amounts of self-determination, uh, but there were slaves and there's all kinds of things. The Moors had trade routes that, you know, we usurped. Um, But, you know, certain kinds of democratic or representative tribal uh, practices of parliament that came, it looks like more from, you know, actually like what Tartaria was doing. Uh, We changed so much, though, to try to assimilate it into British culture. It it might be that Ben Franklin was Octoroon, like an eighth black and that George Washington, a number of other of the founding fathers, because so many of them didn't have access to uh, European women. It, over the colonialist periods that they were mating with their slaves and then they eventually were like having them as children that they led into their families and after several generations. They were rather white looking, not perfectly, but with, you know, a wig and with powder they were able to pass, and this would be not a big deal in the Americas, you know, in Louisiana we had black governors before the, you know slavery was ever, you know, an issue, but it was. In England, probably a bigger deal because of the Moorish occupation of Spain, and then they had to show that they weren't members of the Spanish Moorish family.
2: Wow. That's a lot.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Sorry, bro. <laughs> no, that's great. It's awesome. It's just a lot to digest. Um, so we're, we're to suggest that they've just basically eradicated all of Tartaria at some point for just the simple act of of you know divide and conquer and you know imperialism is that what we're kind of thinking it's just kind of like a nation that fell why do we get to hear about other nations that fell but like tartaria is so covered up
3: so so Tartaria is first of all, a lot of nations do disappear, but Tartaria is bigger than a state because it represents a confederation of a bunch of nations of Scythians, of, of Aryans, of people in the south uh, that were actually a to trade with the Moors and the Sephards in Africa. Like there was so much of a bigger network before this Edo period that we kind of are referring to it as, you know, you could refer to it as Babylon, but Babylon's just Samaria. Right. So this idea that there was a larger trade network that was that large that that's why, you know, it's, it's it's so much more important that it didn't happen. And for the most part, they acknowledge that it happened. Like we have China referred to for a while, They're like, oh, well, we just misreferred China. China is Tartaria. And Ian Fleming has a book, Tales of Tartary, where he's referring to China. And they slowly start to break it down. But the, the Jesuits referred to the Americas as Tartary as well. So when you have China and America, and it starts to spread around, and you're like, okay, Tartary is a much bigger, concept than just this one country and because there's so much that came with it like technology for instance the pen telegram machine right is a machine that is a pen on a, uh, on a pendulum and it swings and then it sends electricity to a, a system which goes to a wire and somewhere else this wire has another pen with another pendulum that swings and it will write a, it will draw a picture so you can illustrate a fax in the old west from the alamo to russia you know and in minutes you'll have a fax sent somewhere so so yeah this is like i think they say 1820s or something like that 1830s but really that's just when they start to introduce it to our modern world because it's like terminator you know they start turning over all this crazy stuff from the library of alexandria and they're like whoa steam engines right like and it takes them a while to figure out how to use some of this technology
2: oh wow So do you think that the Tartarians were influenced by some, some force before them on the planet? Like, do you think this just goes, because I mean, I recently had uh, author Michael Cremo on the show talking about finding, uh, you know, literature, primary literature from old archeological sites that suggest, you know, human, modern human remains, that were in sediment undisturbed from like 6 million years ago and things like that. So, I mean, I'm wondering how, how far back can we trace Tartaria in our history?
3: Well, I'm pretty hesitant. I, we were talking about carbon dating to mm-hmm. use carbon dating to, to say years. I can say uh, with pretty good distinct and I would probably I think your Michael would agree with me. Uh, eruptions i can measure eruptions you know with carbon dating so i'm pretty good at saying how many eruptions have happened but how many years that could actually have changed especially if we're talking about millions because so much changes in in the world um but in terms of how long i think the world uh or in terms of of, of civilizations have existed there's the idea of the six major extinctions that there's been five and we're about to hit our sixth i kind of think that that holds true the idea that there's been four major root races like Velocity says might actually hold water. I I don't think that we're so different, I think a lot of people say that we're different humanoid races, I think we're very similar hominids for one reason or another, either because we're the same or at least because we have gene flow, you look at Denisovan and Neanderthal and Homo sapiens and the fact that there's the capacity, if you take a horse and a donkey and you breed them together, you get a mule, it's sterile, it's because there's no promoter sequences that match up, right, but we have these uh exo drivers you could say that make it possible to plug in one of our promoter sequences from one of our species of bipedal hominid to another so denisovan and neanderthal can breed together homo sapien and denisovan can breed homo sapien and neanderthal can breed together and that's that's incredible most species they can't do that. So either we're engineered to be that variant that there's gene flow back and forth, or, you know, we are literally the same species with that many diversions that have happened, and yet still have been able to come back together. So it it would it would say that like humans, as a genetic concept are probably more complicated than we really realize. And the DNA might actually have this, in mushrooms might be able to store the digital Noah's archive that is humanity and reprint that and produce new kinds of hominids that, that are based on whatever needs to change in the exome because of our environment. Um, but yeah, I think in general, we're looking at probably like four major civilizations uh, according to uh, what we understand about civilization though, that could be, a really broad concept
2: right well i mean there's multiple cultures that talk about that anyway the mayans talk about like what five worlds right um, and then the and hindus they, the vedics yep. yeah exactly so i mean obviously this theme is everywhere um are you familiar with Manly P. Hall and his absolutely? Work? I noticed Love that you that. had his secret teachings Whoa. of
3: all ages behind you. I was like, there absolutely. you go. Absolutely. I, mean, I, I think... feel like
2: which book should be up there standing? I'm like, that one. That's oh, the only yeah. one.
3: <laughs> that's the that's one of the most incredible books of all time. Just the the fact that only two copies were available. One went to the Prince of the Netherlands, right? And the other to which lodge? Was it the San Francisco Lodge? I forget. I'm
2: not sure. I can't remember. Originally, I originally told that story by a Freemason, though.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. So that book's really key. And some of the things he said, I forget where he mentions it, but he talks about the Tartarus and he mentions Tartarus a number of times because of the death uh, realm.
2: Okay. Yeah. I Well, I brought him up because in one of his lectures a long time ago, and actually I think it was one of his lectures from this t- from the time period where he was going through his, his main you know, this material uh, he talked about Atlantis to his audience and was kind of, saying what we're talking about now with Tartaria um, talking about how this wasn't clearly, wasn't just some Island. It was a culture. It was an international kind of seafaring culture. I'm wondering how, like, I mean, manly, God, he know, he knew everything and he was talking about it like Atlantis. It's funny that, that he may have had limited resources at the time where he was thinking about that. Maybe. I wonder how he missed it. (laughs) Well, I mean,
3: yeah, it's an interesting, it's a totally interesting thing that I've wrestled with for years. And I think the main, again, it comes back to uh, manifest destiny and this Mm -hmm. idea that they try to say Atlantis was a smaller thing than it really was. They try to make Atlantis sound like it was just this little city. It's a little tiny, it's in New York City, it's a big deal. And... Which is untrue, and but also that he was looking at Atlantis as it was. You know, he's like, how do I how do I justify Lemuria and Atlantis being two separate civilizations from the current civilization? We have the fathers being the noble ones. But this is, so in other words, he kind of knew this and he said it in a sense, like the, the 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 Aryan noble races that they're referring to of today or of the 20th century, those are really the descendants of the Tartarians. Like those are not the uh, noble races themselves. They're not the uh, Rama and Sita era of blue people and, and avatars that he was very aware of and he talked about, right? Uh, the copper blood, you know, period, of mm-hmm. the catalytic. Cop- 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 um, but also this idea that there was a city-state Atlantis is it, Herodotus talks about this because it was perfect example of a 30-mile, 23-mile ringed city, and we, we found all over the world identical ones, which is why it's been so hard for people, because they're saying, well, wait a second, is this Atlantis, or is, is Mauritania Atlantis, or is this other 23 ring, like, why are they so many? And the answer is, It should be obvious is that they are examples of one uniform civilization, which were autonomous city states that allowed for not just the fact that they were a perfect battlefield that you could from 360 hit every direction. No, but they were golden ratio that water went around them and that you could use water to uh, funnel into the electrical systems because you had alternating currents. Cordoba is one of the best examples. Moscow is a great example. Netherlands, they all look like Mario Brothers star cities, right? I don't know if you've seen the Star forts, but um they're 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 fabulous. And like the yeah. whole the whole thing is that they're not just you know, a star, it's like there's water around them and there's trees and then there's some, there's some sort of a a secondary ring, which then has suburban neighborhood around a municipal area. So Atlantis was probably just like a staple, like everywhere you went, you know, and it would have to run itself because it have to, you have waterfalls, you have lightning, you have trees and you have towers that can ground the electricity. That's a way easier system than transporting power all around the world it's like
2: it's almost like these societies took as above so below extremely seriously where like i've talked about that with a friend of mine how it's just they were putting the divine essence everywhere as as many places as they could i was talking to my friend about it with like the pyramids because we see pyramids everywhere and they there's so many you know new findings about pyramids and what that energy could possibly do for us in a very positive way. And like what, uh, the, 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 uh, energy around the Giza plateau is like versus inside the pyramids. It's fascinating stuff. And it's like, it's putting just this, I guess you could say it's like a symbol of the divine or the the divine proportion just in as many aspects of life as possible or something, it's crazy like, Well it seems just... like if it,
3: if it works You use it right Right so I think it's like, yeah it's, it's literally Donald Duck In math, Magic land You know you've got Donald Duck wandering around and He's like look This beautiful star Is a pentagram This other Perfect door This perfect building Is a golden ratio square And as you start Over and over again Finding it in shells And things You might as well Emulate nature If it works It works And right. you know Like that's the thing About the golden ratio It's perfect For a purpose It. it, it you wouldn't want to make a star that looks like a golden ratio symmetrically because it looks weird like the star it's a snowflake at an angle you know it's like stretched out funny but if you have to take water and have it go around a place it's a practical tool
2: wow that's really cool well dude Thanks for blowing my mind a whole lot tonight. I <laughs> I feel like I really need to dig into all a lot of new things, especially Tartaria. I want to just because I've been watching your documentary. I haven't finished it yet, but I you got a great documentary up on YouTube, man. That's pretty awesome. So everybody should check that out. Uh let my let, please tell my audience where we can find you.
3: Yeah. Also, thanks again for having me. And like it's an awesome show that you've got. It's cool that we well, can thanks, talk about. Man. Well, you're 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 varied and you're broadly interested in a bunch of things, which is good because that helps to bring up all of the different things that are interesting about it.
2: Yeah, I feel like a lot gets left out and I'm screaming it at other podcasts while I'm driving to work, usually. You know what I mean? Like, oh my God, but this angle's missing. And (laughs) you know, and I feel like you know, every every new point that we take away from every amazing interview we get to hear from so many different people, it's like the conversation's only as as uh, as good as the um the amount of perspectives are in the room you know what i mean so sure. it's like the the broader we get i think as listeners we for so long i've been a listener so i've been able i've had this opportunity to, to kind of harness so many different ideas and go, oh my God, what the fuck is going on? Like <laughs> So I really appreciate the opportunity for you to add more of what the fuck's going on into the mix with me, you know? Yeah, it's,
3: it's all about shared lens. You gotta have different perspectives, you know, to make, to see things from a different perspective because we're not the thing we're looking at. So we'll never no. be able to see it, you know? <laughs> That's wonderful. But, <beautiful. laughs> but also, Exertus. Exertus is my name on the internet, X-I-R-T-U-S. It's like a gender pronoun. I'm kind of kidding. <laughs> but you you can find my youtube uh doc on youtube you can also go on odyssey and find all of our videos i actually have like a few more there because there's some things you can't say on youtube so
2: is beautiful i urge yeah, people to go to odyssey so check them odyssey
3: and then you know if you look at my name on itunes now there's like i think i'm doing enough shows that you'll find me in like sam Tripoli and all these other places so if you're looking for exertus you'll find me now that I'm in your mind, I hope you're in your sight. I hope to find, I hope to find you too. So good to meet you.
2: Absolutely, yeah, <laughs> good to meet you, man. Really appreciate it. And yeah, I aim to do more of a conversation than an interview, you know. So I'd love to have you back sometime. We can fucking go into way other crazier shit. Cool, we can go
3: way deeper now. This is like, you know, if someone were on the, at a bar and would ask me about tartary, this is about as far as we could get. <laughs> I feel. Like. So we'll do it. We'll do it again soon.
2: Absolutely, man. All right, you have a great night. Thanks again. listening to this episode of the Deep Share Podcast. If you want to hear more, then hit that subscribe button. Follow me on all the social places. And remember, think for yourself, but don't always believe what you think. Till next time. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, that's Enough, I get the point. You have never
3: If I know what we know, then I can tell you what we know, and if someone else knows, okay. Uh... <laughs>